0: could wait for them to sit down, but a minute can be a long time. I missed the Queen's speech on Tuesday. Did anybody hear it? There's a few of you. I hope there's some down there who are listening. You might need to know it. Um, Anyway, I've I've seen a couple of tweets of outrage on Twitter. They said, how dare she sit there with her golden piano and tell all the rest of us to pull together? I don't know if that was the feeling that any of the rest of you had. Oh, <clears throat> can somebody get me a glass of water? It's not like me. There we go. Well, she got something right this week because she recognised something many of us here have known and valued for many years. And so, congratulations to Professor David Livingstone and to Francis and all the family on the honour of being appointed <laughs> Commander of the Order of the British Empire. But I did have the bit about the Queen written before I knew about that bit. (laughs) We can be cross with Queen Elizabeth for preaching. But given the opportunity that she has, and she is where she is, and she has limitations, we could be even more cross if she didn't use her power to try and heal. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you so much. Sandra's using the power she has to heal as well. cup of Cold water in the name of the Lord. Much appreciated. So if the Queen didn't use the power and the opportunity that she has, wouldn't that be worse? There are plenty of others with greater public platforms who are much more prone to use them to build their own egos. Contrast, Simeon and Anna, another couple of older people, their response to that little child, a response of affirmation, seeing him for who he really is, seeing his potential and speaking it prophetically. Contrast that with the people on Twitter who are moaning. Contrast it with his parents who, when he's 12, are taking him for granted, assuming that he's there somewhere, he'll appear eventually. then they begin to fear for his safety and then ultimately I assume they must feel a bit outraged at what appears like his cheek when he says "As only a 12 year old or 13 or 14 year old can duh of course I'm here where else did you think I'd be I don't think there's a Greek or an Aramaic word for duh but (laughs) I can't help hearing it when I read Jesus, did you not know I was going to be in my father's house? This is a typical young person's sense of the obvious. He has no awareness of what others can't possibly know. And we shouldn't blame him for it. It's not a sin. Often adults continue uh, consider teens to be cheeking when all they are is growing. Can you hear me preaching to myself here? I have a 14-year-old. Sometimes our teenagers legs outgrow their trousers and sometimes their confidence outgrows their appreciation of other people's needs. And sometimes their clear thinking because young people can see things very clearly. Sometimes that misses some of the significance of the other implications of what's happening. I'm really grateful to Luke for giving us this insight into the child, Jesus. Because time's a funny thing. Details can get lost. Some in- images can become imprinted so that you remember them as if they were just yesterday. And that's how I see the Simeon and Anna story and the story of the loss of Jesus in Jerusalem. 14 years ago, the moderator came to visit Alan and me on Christmas Eve, and our nine-day-old, who hardly ever slept, cuddled up on Ken Newell's bright red Christmas jumper with his snow-white hair and his deep, gentle voice, and slept soundly amidst the twinkling lights of the Christmas tree. There's plenty of other Christmases I can hardly remember, but that Christmas memory will be with me forever. Time's a funny thing. When you're in it, seconds, minutes, hours can feel endless. Those early days of sleepless nights with a colicky baby. Those long nights sitting up with an elderly friend or relative. The days seem long, but the years fly by. And Luke does still manage, although that was a long reading, he does pass over time with shocking speed. It's nothing to compare with Mark and John, who... Miss it all together, don't give us a birth or childhood story. But even in Luke, who seems to have had some insider knowledge of the family story, we dash from angels to Anna and Simeon, and from shepherds to circumcision, from Bethlehem to bar mitzvah, 12 years with no record of when he said his first words, or cut his first tooth, or took his first step, or learned to read, Years have gone by, and the baby son of God has spilt milk and banged his head and fallen over countless times and probably been bitten by more insects and animals than you'd like to think about, and he might have bitten some of them back. Did you ever wonder whether Jesus fell out with his little friends in the village in Nazareth? Did people hurt his feelings or make fun of the shape of his nose? Did he ever say things that hurt other people's feelings? Because instinctively I want to say no. But look again at our story of the 12 year old experiencing his independence in Jerusalem. I think sometimes I have had such a high Christology, a strong sense of Jesus as the Son of God, as God with us, that I have forgotten that Jesus was a real human being and therefore a real baby, a real toddler. Yes, my favorite phrase, God toddled. God toddled. And he was a real teenager too. And that's not a bad thing. Because it means that if there was room for Jesus to grow, there is room for all of us to grow. There is room for relationship. There is room for conflict and tension among us. And there's room for love. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. That comes before and after the story of the 12-year-old. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So what has happened in this story? It's a story of God changing at least of Jesus making a transition, reaching a relational milestone, entering a new stage in his relationship with his parents. He becomes an independent person with a clear idea of his own identity and priorities. But it's not easy for his parents. And actually, it can't be easy for him. Look at the process. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you why were you searching for me, duh, sorry, the duh wasn't there, really wasn't, but I can hear it, (laughs) why were you searching for me, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? But the parents did not understand what Jesus was saying to them, they didn't understand him, and he hadn't understood them. So it's a typical family conflict the young adult goes out into the world alone and the parents are worried sick and when they find him a row ensues and it all seems unresolved. Did Jesus sulk? Did he spend several days not really speaking? Because I would be inclined to interpret that as sulking. But it's also possible that even if he took some time to be quiet he was processing Because it takes time to process. And the teenage brain has to go through a lot of processing to come to terms with the heightened emotions of conflict with the parents he loves. Make no mistake, Luke has opened a can of worms for us here. Jesus seems to have been entirely inconsiderate and selfish from an adult point of view. He seems to have been so caught up in his passion for theological discussion that he hasn't bothered to tell his parents where he is. And here's another can of worms. If Jesus feels the conflict with his parents, he must feel that conflict as a 12-year-old within himself. And I find it very uncomfortable to think of God feeling conflict within himself. Do you? How is it possible that he should have an internal struggle? How is it possible to be human and not to feel internal struggle? The call to go deeper with God, his heavenly father, the vocation to be a teacher of the teachers in Jerusalem, and at the same time to recognize that the fulfillment of his parents' expectations might not be his vocation. To obey God, he might have to cause his parents' pain, They said, probably, that they were leaving, but he wasn't ready to leave yet. He still had work to do at the temple, what he calls my father's house. If he obeys his inner sense of call, it'll cause his parents' pain. But if he avoids the conflict, he'd be disobeying his heavenly father, denying who he really is. So how is this conflict to be resolved? It seems that Jesus humbled himself and had the courage to be patient. Verse 51 says, He went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And I'm sure that's why Colossians 3 is our epistle for today. Does that mean he abandoned his calling by leaving the temple? Does it mean he was telling his heavenly father that obedience would just have to wait, because it kind of looks like it. And yet, Luke tells us two more important things at this point. Firstly, Mary treasured these things in her heart. It takes time to treasure things in your heart, it's like a seed being sown, it takes time to germinate and to grow. So the seed was sown in Mary. And she was able to grow. And secondly, Luke tells us, Jesus continued to grow in wisdom as well as in stature. So the story isn't over. If we take the story as it is and use it as the end point, we have a problem. But if we know that this is merely an episode and that there's more to come, then there is hope for us. Beyond our current conflicts. Time has beaten us, and my sermon must end. The year is nearly over, the children are growing quickly, and we're aging, all of us, faster than we dare to notice. So, what can we take away with us today? Firstly, who are you in conflict with? Your elders, your children, maybe it's people here in the church, maybe it's the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, I'll say nothing about that. Secondly, so firstly, who are you in conflict with? Secondly, who are you in relation to God and in relation to these people? And what is at stake in this conflict? Thirdly, is it possible that the other party is not entirely wrong, but that you simply haven't fully understood them? And is it possible that the other party doesn't understand you? but you can still submit to them, trusting that in God's way and in God's time, the circumstances will change, and your heart's desire and your vocation will be fulfilled in the fullness of time. Don't give up on your sense of who you are, even if for a time it is right to be patient. But there's a caveat with this, which I can't not say. Mary and Joseph weren't, as far as we know, either violent or abusive to Jesus. So please don't let anyone use what I've just said as an excuse to deny your God-given freedom from abuse or enslavement or violence. You are, like Jesus, a child of God. God has a purpose for you. Whether you're a prophet like Anna a widow, 84 years old, whether you're an old man waiting to die like Simeon and knowing you can't go till you've seen hope, until you've seen God's special way of freedom freedom for you, freedom for your oppressed people, freedom for your occupied land. You are like Mary called to carry the life of God in you until it's born into the world and it may also pierce your heart. You too can treasure in your heart the mysterious conflicts and insights along the journey. Maybe like Joseph you feel you've done all you can for someone metaphorically adopting someone else's child as your own and maybe you feel that they're ungrateful Rejecting your loving kindness as they grow to be themselves. Whether you're a tiny baby or a person with a lifetime's experience, you have a place in God's story. Don't let it go. Even if for a time you may need to be patient and obedient and wait. I entitled this service Growing in Wisdom, Resolving Conflict, and Using Power. And we haven't got to the using power, but I wonder if that's what the up stands for in growing up. The whole dichotomy between Jesus' use of power and every normal use is here. He knows he's God's son, but he submits to his earthly parents. He puts himself underneath and he uses his power from the bottom up. He knows he's an adult and yet he chooses to continue to live with them as their child. All power is given to him from God and all authority and yet he uses his power not to dominate but to serve, not to demean but to love. Every minute of every day, you have this power. Every breath you have is power. In Christ Jesus, God with us, we have authority and freedom. We can invest it for praise like Simeon and Anna or for schooling, for building up or tearing down, for imprisoning or for setting free. Sometimes we'll break each other's hearts As Jesus broke Mary's. And yet, as we take time to listen and learn, to understand each other, we too may grow in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and humanity. Some of us will even get a favour from the Queen. Isn't God good? Let's pray. Jesus of Nazareth, you entered the lives of two people, Mary and Joseph, and you changed them and you touched the lives of Anna and Simeon and the shepherds and all the people that they talked to. And now we gather in your name in twos and threes and where two or three are gathered, we are sure to find differences, disagreements, arguments, anxieties, tensions. Help us Submit to one another. Bear with each other in love. Forgive each other. Just as you have forgiven us. And so make us a people who hold light and hope for a very confused and broken world. Through the power that is at work within us in Jesus Christ. Amen.